Good morning. Today is the day when churches all over the world celebrate Pentecost. It was the day when, just as Jesus had promised, the Holy Spirit came and, and filled those first believers with God's presence and power. And it's what really launched the church on their mission to the world. In Acts 1 verse 14, we're told that after Jesus had ascended, the apostles and all the other believers, they were gathering together, it says, with one accord and continually devoting themselves to prayer. And then this is what happened as a result. As we read in Acts 2 uh, verse 1, it says this, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it caused quite a commotion because this great crowd gathered and Peter had the opportunity to share the message of Jesus with that crowd. And it was a crowd made up of Jewish people from lots of different nations uh, who had come into Jerusalem for this Feast of Pentecost. Uh, it was a Jewish festival where they celebrated the ingathering of the harvest. And so it was significant, you know, that, that God chose that day to pour out his spirit because it resulted in this great harvest of souls as 3,000 people responded to the gospel and were added to the church. It was a sign that God's new community was to be a multinational community. But it was also a community that turned the Roman world upside down. And, and not just because of the message they were sharing, it was because of the manifestation of power that accompanied the message. Uh, you know, there were signs and wonders, there were healings and miracles. You know, that's what got people's attention. It was supernatural. People were encountering the presence of God in his people. You know, in Ephesus, it caused a riot because so many people were turning away from their occult practices and putting their faith in Jesus. But the question I really want us to ask today is, you know, was Pentecost just this kind of past event uh, that we celebrate that happened back there in history? Or is there a deeper significance? Was it just a one-off thing? Or can we still expect for God to move in power today? That's the question I want to ask this morning. Can we hope for God to come in similar power today? You know, if you read the book of Acts, you have to conclude that while Pentecost was unique, it was not just a one-time thing. Because you see the Spirit of God being poured out on other groups of people in other places. Or in the case of Acts 4, upon the same group of people in the same place. In fact, if you were to draw a graph of, of the church in, throughout history, throughout the last 2,000 years, and her greatest effectiveness, you know, you'd start up here uh, with the day of Pentecost, but then you'd see over a number of generations, there'll be a gradual decline as the church became more you know, formal and ineffective. And then you'd find a resurgence of power uh, and then another decline and so on. And you see these kind of peaks and troughs all through history. Uh, in fact, it's really how it's been with God's people since the beginning. 
You know, you look at the days of the judges when the nation would be in a moral kind of spiritual decline where it says, you know, a generation grew up who didn't know the Lord and then they'd face trials and they would cry out to God and God would come again. There'd be a, a spiritual breakthrough, you know, a revival of his purposes. It was the same in the time of the kings. You know, when things got bad, there would be those who would cry out to the Lord, Lord, you know, won't you revive us again, O Lord, as you've done in days past. And so, you know, when God answered that prayer on the day of Pentecost, it was like a high watermark uh, on that graph uh, because God had poured out his spirit, not just for a nation, but for the nations. But my point is that, you know, through history, you see these peaks and troughs in the church um, of, of really high times of, of effectiveness and in reaching the nations and then great spiritual decline uh, when the church was at a low ebb, when everything seemed you know dark and hopeless, but then God would come again and revive his church uh, as he poured out his spirit once again. Uh, listen to this quote from the great preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was quite a student uh, on revivals throughout history. This is what he said. He said, my dear friends, if you read the history of the church, you can come to only one conclusion. This has been God's way of keeping the church alive. The Christian church would have been dead and finished centuries ago and many times over were it not for revivals. He says this is the true meaning of the word revival. It is God pouring out his spirit on an assembled church or company or many churches or countries even at a time. What he did at the beginning, he has done again. When the powers vanished, he sends it again. And that, he says, has been the history of the Christian church from the first century until today. Now, the message of the day of Pentecost is that what God has done, God can still do. When I became a Christian almost 40 years ago, there was a lot of talk about revival. These days, it's not really a word you find on many people's lips. You know, the talk has been much more about uh, the church being seeker-friendly, being more attractional, uh, you know, what we need to do to organize ourselves better, become more relevant, and so on. You know, when God moves in revival power, churches are packed with people who are seeking after God. There's this kind of divine magnetism that can accomplish in a moment what years of our organizing can never accomplish. And that's what we see throughout history. As many of you know, I'm a big fan of uh, George Whitfield, and he and uh, John Wesley, you know, they were leading lights in the Great Awakening that took place in the UK and in the American colonies in the mid-18th century. And it really started in a prayer meeting. It was January the 1st, 1739 in London, when George Whitfield, uh, the Wesley brothers, and about 60 others gathered to pray through the night. And it was at three o'clock in the morning that something extraordinary happened. I mean, just listen to uh, what John Wesley wrote in his journal uh, for that day. This is what he says. As we were continuing instant in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us, insomuch that many cried out for exulting joy and many fell to the ground. As soon as we were recovered a little from the awe 
and amazement at the presence of his majesty. We broke out in one voice. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to be the Lord. Now they'd prayed many times before, but it was on this occasion that God chose to come in revival power. And soon all of England was to experience it. But it was Whitfield who really helped to fan the flames of revival here in America. He uh, crossed the Atlantic 13 times, traveled extensively up and down the East Coast uh, with his message, unless you're born again, right, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've read Whitfield's journal every day for the past eight years. Uh, that's no exaggeration because uh, I run Whitfield's Twitter account. There you are. And so I've been tweeting him every day for the last eight years. And, you know, when you read his journal, it's just amazing to read those times when, when God's presence would come and he'd be overwhelmed and, and the crowds of people who gathered to hear him would be overwhelmed by God's presence. In fact, let me just read you uh, from his journal. Just a little, uh, just on one of the occasions. This was in May uh, in 1740, which was a kind of high point, really, of the Great Awakening. And uh, he was preaching, it says he was preaching in the woods where some 12,000 people had gathered. This was just outside of Philadelphia. And it was there, he says, the Lord manifested forth his glory. He says, I hadn't spoken long before I perceived numbers melting. And as I proceeded, the influence increased until at last, he says, thousands cried out. So they almost drowned my voice. Never did I see a more glorious sight. Oh, what tears were shed and poured forth after the Lord Jesus. Some fainted. And when they got a little strength, they would hear and faint again. He said, after I'd finished, I was pierced. I was overpowered, he says, with a sense of God's love that some thought I was about to give up the ghost, he says. How sweetly did I lie at the feet of Jesus? With what power did a sense of his all-constraining, free and everlasting love flow in upon my soul? It almost took away my life. It's just incredible scenes. God just pouring out his spirit in those days. It was the same in Boston. He preached on Boston Common frequently to crowds Greater actually than the population of Boston at that time. To 20 or 30,000 people he'd be preaching. Same kind of things happening there. He traveled right up uh, the coast to the sea coast right here. Where he, he preached in Dover and uh, in Rochester and Berwick and Durham and Exeter. And when he came to Portsmouth, at first he said the people were as hard as nails. And uh, he says they were totally unconcerned. So he went to York. And uh, there, he said, the, the tears fell plentifully down their faces. And then the next day, he went back to Portsmouth. And uh, in fact, let me just read it. He says that there was a greater um, congregation there this time. And this time, he said, people began to melt soon after I prayed. And the influence increased more and more during the whole sermon. And so the words seemed to pierce through and through carrying such conviction with it. Incredible scenes uh, here in New England in those days. And now some of you might be sitting there thinking, yeah, well, you know, people were more religious back then. They were more emotional. That's actually not true, right? This was the age of reason. 
where secular rationalism was being emphasized. Passion for God had grown cold. Churches were largely dead and formal. Uh, not only were they poorly attended, but actually a lot of the clergy weren't even converted back then. Um, and there was a lot of opposition. You know, people would come and try and disrupt Whitfield's meetings and uh, they would be you know, beating drums to try and drown him out, throwing rotten eggs at him, uh, even dead cats. But nothing could stop God moving in revival power. And it wasn't just Whitfield, you know. He was the most well-known, but actually there were others who God was using at that time. And it's pretty evident that it wasn't just down to the gifting or the ability of man. This was a sovereign work of God pouring out his spirit upon people, just as he'd done on the day of Pentecost. I mean, just listen to this account uh, from David Brainerd's journal uh, from 1745. And, uh, you know, he felt called to, to take the gospel to some of the native tribes that were around the East Coast at that time. And he spent a number of days uh, preaching to a particular tribe in New Jersey. And, uh, and he said some of them have been drunken wretches for years. One of them was a powwow, he said, a magic man, right? These were not people from Christian backgrounds. But listen to this as he began talking to them, sharing the gospel with them. This is incredible. He says, the power of God seemed to descend upon the assembly like a rushing mighty wind and with an astonishing energy bore down all before it. I stood amazed at the influence that seized the audience almost universally. Persons of all ages were bowed down with concern together, and scarce one was able to withstand the shock of this surprising operation. Within a year, 130 of that tribe had accepted Christ as their saviour. You know, the Great Awakening had a huge influence on the colonies here in the United States. In fact, some would say it actually united the colonies for the War of Independence. In some New England towns, it was hard to find anyone who had not been converted. The effects of this awakening carried on for several decades. But apart from some isolated revivals, there came this kind of general spiritual decline again until 1857, when God put it into the heart of a man called Jeremiah Lanfear to start a lunchtime prayer meeting in New York City, where he would invite people to join him to pray for a breakthrough in the spiritual apathy in this nation. Uh, many of you have heard me tell this story, uh, because hardly anyone came to his prayer meeting. And then, within a few days, there was a crisis. There was a financial crash, and it put fear in the hearts of the people. And soon his prayer meeting was packed out. He had to start other prayer meetings. They sprung up all over the city. And then it spread to other cities right across the United States. And soon it seemed like the whole nation was crying out to God. And God responded. It's what has become known as the second great awakening. Right, right across this nation, uh, there was an overwhelming sense of God's presence. It just changed the spiritual atmosphere. In fact, newspapers reported how ships coming into the American ports would kind of cross over this almost this zone of heavenly influence uh, where sailors would come under conviction. Uh, one entire crew of 30 people out to sea uh, came to Christ and entered into the harbour 
rejoicing. That revival led to a million people being added to the churches here in the United States. And then it crossed over to the UK where another million people were added to the churches there. And it really helped to give birth to the great missionary movement that happened at the end of the 19th century. Now, of course, since then, there have been other remarkable outpourings of God's spirit. 1906, you know, the Azusa Street revival in LA that helped to give birth to the Pentecostal movement. And then almost 50 years ago now, the Jesus People movement that gave birth to Sam Poe. But, you know, a lot has happened in the last 50 years. And there is so much to be concerned about in our nation here today. In fact, you know, if I'm honest, I'm fearful for my grandchildren growing up in this society, in this world. So what can we do? Listen to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones again. He says this, the first step is to realize that man, having done everything, has in a sense done nothing. He can produce a number of converts, and thank God for that, and that goes on regularly in evangelical churches every Sunday. But the need today is much too great for that. The need today is for an authentication of God, of the supernatural, of the spiritual, of the eternal. And this can only be answered by God graciously hearing our cry and shedding forth again his spirit upon us and filling us as he kept filling the early church. Now, he wrote that several decades ago. And if that was the need then, how much greater is our need today? You know, what are we trusting in to change the spiritual atmosphere in this nation, to change the hearts of men and women so that marriages are healed? so that families are reconciled, so the poor are lifted up and the addicted find freedom. Now, what would it take to create an atmosphere of love and respect for our fellow man, no matter what their race or creed or affiliation, so that righteousness and peace are in our cities? You know, the, the government can't legislate that, and the church is powerless to stop that tide of darkness that seems to be flooding our nation. Our only hope is that God would come and revive us again, that he would pour out his spirit in these days, even as we're engaging in his mission. And as we've been hearing over and over again, God delights to answer the prayers of his people. It's what we see in the day of Pentecost. We see that the church were gathered with one accord, continually devoting themselves to prayer. That's when God came in power. And then what did the Holy Spirit lead them to do? Well, we read in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to prayer. Right, This mighty movement that turned the world upside down, it was birthed in prayer, it brought forth prayer, and it was maintained by prayer. Right? Listen to Jonathan Edwards writing during the First Great Awakening. He said this, he said, When God is about to do a mighty new thing, he always sets his people praying. And I'm so encouraged that in these difficult days that it's led to a massive increase in prayer. You know, it seems all over the world, people are praying like never before. And many of our churches uh, were engaging in that, that global prayer event called Enough, uh, where some 10,000 people last time prayed, starting in Japan, and then this great wave of prayer going right across the globe to Hawaii. 
magnificent, right? The next one will be on June the 12th. But I just sense that, that there is a growing expectation amongst God's people for a global move of God's spirit. Now, even in our own church, uh, before COVID-19, we were sensing uh, God drawing near. Uh, I think there was a kind of growing dissatisfaction for the way things were, for you know the things that we can accomplish in our own strength. I don't know about you, but I just sensed there was a growing hunger for this authentication of God, you know, for the supernatural. And do you know what that is? Do you know what that hunger is? It's like a little cloud appearing on the horizon of a bright blue sky. It may only be as small as a man's hand, but it contains the promise of rain, that rain is coming. And so what do we do with that? Well, we do as Elijah did. We pray until the rain comes. Let me just share a scripture with you. This is a, a scripture I really felt God put on my heart for our church in these days. It's from uh, Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, uh, where it says this. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness on you. Break up your fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness on you. Break up your fallow ground. Talking there about preparing our hearts. And I know that many would testify to how you know, God has been at work in their hearts in these difficult days. That you know, where the ground has maybe lain fallow, you know, where uh, we've become complacent that what has happened has been like this great interruption, if you want, this disruption to our lives and routines, but that somehow in it all, God is at work preparing us for what he's wanting to do. And one of the ways that we can prepare our own hearts is through prayer. It's us coming together to pray. And it's so that God might send the rain, as Hosea says there, you know, so that there might be an outpouring of his spirit in revival. Listen, God wants to have mercy on this great nation for his glory. Right? I fully believe that in his sovereignty, he has allowed this virus to shake the nations and to awaken his church in these days. Um, you know, it, it, Yes, it's come as an interruption to our lives. It's disrupted so many things. But it's not so that we might then just drift back to the way things were. It's so we might rise up in prayer as we engage with God in his great mission. Right? This is not a time for thinking about how we might get back to you know, holding meetings in a building. Right? This is a time to press forward in asking him for revival, that we might come together with one accord and pray. Pray for an outpouring of his spirit so that our buildings might become the barns that he's going to gather this great harvest into. So will you join with me in praying for revival? You know, I can see larger groups of us meeting in fields or out in the open, a bit like it was in Whitfield's day. And I'm not talking about just having, you know, a, a church service outside because the weather's so nice and we can't all meet in the building. No, this is different. Uh, this is us coming together with one accord, all right, to worship and to pray with one sole purpose, revival. It's so good to see so many of you uh, meeting in smaller groups all over the seacoast, whether virtually or physically now. 
meeting together. That, you know, we need that. We need that. It's so important that we continue to devote ourselves to the fellowship and to spurring one another on to love and good deeds. But what I'm talking about is different, right? This is a call to the whole church to come together, to cry out to God that he might open the floodgates of heaven once again upon this nation. Just this past week, our pastoral team, who are totally agreed on this, uh, you know, we've met together to discuss our first revival prayer gathering, uh, which we think was going to take place in three locations on the seacoast. It will take place on Sunday evening, June the 7th. So please do mark that on your calendars and details will be out this week. But can I call us all to participate together in this, whether physically or virtually? You know, because we totally understand uh, not everyone is going to feel ready yet to meet in person. And that is totally fine. We still want to ensure the safety of our members. And so that's why we will have a live video feed at each of those gatherings so that our whole church can participate in this together. Listen, the message of Pentecost is that what God has done, he will do again. Because he has promised that he will fill the whole earth with his glory, even as the waters cover the sea. Amen. Amen. Let's just pray together, shall we? Can we pray now? Heavenly Father, oh God, I just pray that you would continue to put this hunger in us, Lord, an increasing thirst and hunger, Lord, to see you come in greater measure, in greater power than we've known before, than we've known in our lifetimes. I pray, O oh God, for a manifestation of your Spirit in these days, that you would come and change the spiritual atmosphere, Lord, in our communities, right across this nation, even to the nations, we pray, O oh God. We pray for a global move of your Spirit in these days, an unprecedented move, even as there's been this global crisis. Oh, Lord, how much more will grace abound, we pray, Lord. Lord, will you come by your Spirit to change things, to change hearts and lives, to change us. Revive us, Lord. Start with us. Start with us. Start with me, Lord. Oh, God, we want to know you more. Lord, we want this authentication of God, this supernatural, Lord, uh, Lord, the spiritual, the eternal. Oh, God, put it in our hearts. And may we be like Jacob, Lord, that we will continue to pray and wrestle with you. Oh, God, that, Lord, we will not let you go until you bless us. Lord, let it be so, we ask, for your great glory. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you uh, this week. And if you're uh, looking in here and you want to know more about our church, uh, do please email us at hello at newfrontierschurch.com. Uh, if you want to get updates um, or receive our weekly newsletter, just let us know. We'd love to get that out to you. But I'm going to hand back now to Christy and Erica, who will lead us in the final song of worship. And do stick around right to the end, uh, because there's going to be a little surprise at the end. Uh, some old-time Pentecostal uh, worship from someone that you wouldn't expect. God bless you.